welcome to Women Studying the Word. I'm your host, Meredith Beattie. This is the podcast for women who want to study their Bibles, but are unsure how and where to start. I'm here for you to give you the tools and encouragement you need to dig deeper into the Word. No matter who you are or where you are in this process, you can do this. So let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. If you're a new listener, welcome and thanks for joining me. My purpose in doing this podcast is to equip women and help them believe that they can study the Bible on their own. And this season on the podcast, I've been leading you through the book of Psalms. I've already done four episodes on it, as well as a couple bonus episodes, so I hope you'll go back and listen to those too. I also have some really valuable resource material on my website that I think you'll find helpful. So you can go find that on womenstudyingtheword.com and just click on the resource tab. There you're going to find study helps and discussion questions and some more things. So I hope you're doing well today. I am good. God is good, you know. Today is Good Friday. I'm dropping this podcast really late on Good Friday because I recorded the podcast yesterday, but I really don't have a very good place to record right now. And I tried to record in my car and there was a lot of um, road noise. So I had to go back and um, I listened to that and realized that that was not acceptable. So I have to re-record right now. So I am sitting in my daughter's room. She's in college, but her room is empty so I can record in her room and not bother anybody. So um, I wonder if it's okay to use the podcast as accountability. Um, Why not, right? It's my podcast. So in earlier podcasts, I had been telling you about this cookbook, more a baking book called The Good Book of Southern Baking. And I've made something else from it. So I thought I would share. I I was going to make this recipe for lemon lemon iced cookies, but I used the lemons in my house for something else. So I, I didn't have lemons and I didn't feel like going to the store to get them. So one night I was making um, biscuits and gravy and I thought, well, I'll just I'll just make biscuits from the cookbook. And I, I think the cookbook has about, I don't know, three or four or five different biscuit recipes. So I picked one where I had all the ingredients already and I think they were the rolled biscuits. And, and I, of course, made the mistake of not reading through the recipe completely because, and I was on a time crunch, which I know we're all on a time crunch when we're making dinner, right? (laughs) I hope I'm not the only one. But I was on a time crunch and I didn't read the whole recipe and it said that after I cut the biscuits out, I had to put them in the freezer for at least 30 minutes or overnight. So of course I didn't have overnight, so I didn't even have 30 minutes. So I just put it in there for 20 minutes and it turned out okay. So maybe they would have turned out fluffier and lighter if I'd put them in there for overnight, but they were pretty good. So maybe I will try those lemon iced cookies again, and I'll share how that goes next time. But today we're going to be studying Psalm 23, and many, many people are familiar with this psalm, believers and even unbelievers. The first line is very familiar to most people, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I think if we're honest, it can be a challenge to study something so familiar. Sometimes we think we might get bored because we don't believe we'll get anything out of it. But I hope you'll dig in with me 
because even the most familiar things in scripture can become sweeter as you study them more and more. So that's what I want to help you do is with this really familiar psalm, learn some ways that you can really dig deeper there. So there's just more and more treasure. So let's read the psalm and then I'll pray. And what I'm going to do is read it in a translation that might not be as familiar to you. Um, a lot of people know it in King James. That's kind of the traditional way, but I'm going to mix things up and a lot of, um, I'm going to use the Christian standard Bible. So here is Psalm 23 in the Christian standard Bible translation, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Wow, what do you think of that translation? Well, I really like the CSB. It's a very accurate and faithful translation. About 20 years old, it used to be called the Holman Christian Standard Bible Translation, and then it went through some recent updates and was renamed the Christian Standard Bible. But anyway, I think with really familiar texts like Psalm 23, it's helpful in our study to use a translation Maybe a different translation, but one that's still really accurate and faithful to the original Hebrew and Greek texts. So let me pray and then I will help you or help us get started with Psalm 23. So Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your word that sometimes we can't understand and your word that is so very familiar to us. So help us as we dig into Psalm 23, I pray for those who are listening, I pray you would open their eyes to see wonderful things in your law and that you would help me as I guide these listeners through this wonderful and beautiful psalm. In Jesus' name, amen. So how should we start? Again, most of us already are really familiar with this psalm and we know who wrote it, right? We don't, we don't need to be told who wrote it. Um, David wrote this, but we might want to get familiar again with the passages that talk about David being a shepherd. And we can do that by looking in 1 Samuel 16 and 17. So if you remember, if you remember that part of the story about David, 1 Samuel 16 is about David being anointed um, king, the next king. And Samuel anoints him and Samuel goes to Jesse, who is David's father, and looks at all of Jesse's sons and... Um, doesn't find the one that he's looking for. And he asks Jesse, well, there, do you have any more sons? And Jesse says, yes, we have another son, but he's keeping the sheep. So there we're introduced to David and the fact that he is a shepherd. And then in um, chapter 17, after he comes into Saul's service, we have that famous story about David and Goliath. And um, Saul, David really wants to come against Goliath and Saul is questioning his credentials. Like, how, how can you do that? Um, and David told Saul that, you know, as a shepherd, he was responsible for guarding the sheep from wild animals like bears and lions. So um, we know from David's history then that he spent a lot of time alone doing 
hard work. He was faced with threats and he became strong. So we also know he was a musician and all of this is the historical context to this very familiar psalm. So after we remind ourselves of who David was and all of the the kind of person he was, what do we want to do next in studying this psalm? Well, we want to get a broad overview of the text. We want to kind of fly over it at like a 30,000 foot level, not getting into details yet. So let's start by looking at the imagery because that is just jumping off the page, right? From the very first line, we see the shepherd imagery. And there's very calm and pastoral language in these first three verses. We have green pastures and still waters. And this psalm for me immediately brings calm. I I took some time years ago to finally memorize it. I realized, you know, I was so very familiar with it that it probably wouldn't take me that much time to memorize it. So I did that and I recommend that you you do it too. It's It's not really hard. And one habit I've built into my life is that when I go to bed or wake up or when I wake up in the middle of the night, which is more common now that I'm the age that I am, I bring a psalm I've memorized to my mind. And Psalm 23 has been one of those psalms that just immediately gives me great comfort. Um, So getting back to the psalm, just in glancing over the first three verses, we see that there's this sense of peace and a sense of security. But Then in verse four, things change and a new section begins. And how do we know that? Well, we can see that by the change in imagery. It's not so much talking about sheep, but about a person. And and the imagery goes from peaceful to perilous, talking about the shadow of death. And then in verse five, we have this description of enemies. And then in verse six, there's resolution. There's a description of the end of this person's journey in the house of God. So that's the first thing we want to do is fly over the text, get a basic overview of the structure of the psalm. Just pay attention to the imagery and how it changes, looking for the overall tone of the psalm. So then you can ask yourself a question, how would you describe Psalm 23 so far? What is it really describing? And I think it's really describing a journey, like I just said. It starts with the assurance of God being our shepherd and takes us through a description of how he leads us through life and then ends with us dwelling with him. But now let's get into the details of this familiar psalm. And I want to give you some ways you can dig even deeper. So, so far in the book of Psalms, David has called God things like rock and fortress, shield and deliverer, his stronghold. This, though, in Psalm 23 is the most personal way he has addressed God so far as his shepherd. And this is just such a very familiar verse that you might think you already know everything there is to know about it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? But there are a couple ways you can study here to gain even more insight. I want to give you two tips here. And one is to drill deeper and examine each word choice And maybe contrast the language that's used. So first, he says, God is my shepherd, not the shepherd, right? He chose that pronoun, my, on purpose. So stop and think and meditate on how personal this language is. 
because the pronoun my is a possessive pronoun and that implies a certain kind of relationship, an intimate, close relationship. And it's a relationship that includes care and provision. So take some time to think about that, the fact that he chose the pronoun my for a reason instead of the more general pronoun the. Then, then contrast the title given to God. The title given to God is the Lord, and it's in all caps. And when when the Lord, when the name the Lord is in all caps, that is, that means it's referring to the covenant name for God, which is Yahweh, and that's the name the Jews will not even pronounce. It's the I Am. So contrast the choice of that name for God, Yahweh, with the words My Shepherd. Think about that. The transcendence of God is contrasted with the personal description of him as a shepherd. And that contrast reminds me of another passage of scripture in in Isaiah 40. These two verses in Isaiah 40, verses 10 and 11, I think they they contrast um, the transcendence of God and the personal nature of God, the imminence of God, in just the same way that I'm talking about in this first line of Psalm 23. So Isaiah 40, verse 10 and 11 say this, Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. And then the very next verse has the contrast. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So the might and sovereign authority of the Lord God is contrasted with his tender and gentle care for his people, his sheep. So another way to study this familiar phrase, instead of drilling a lot deeper into the word choices, is to go broader and maybe try to find connections to the larger story of scripture. And in terms of the shepherd imagery, you might want to do that in thinking about the history of God's people and what they did. What was their occupation? Well, the patriarchs were shepherds. When Jacob and his sons went to join Joseph in Egypt, Joseph told Pharaoh that his people were shepherds. Moses became a shepherd, and of course, David was a shepherd. And then elsewhere in the Old Testament, we see that God uses the shepherd imagery in Ezekiel. God compares the leaders of his people to shepherds. We'll get into that later, but just remember this tip, this second tip about studying a really familiar verse. Um, You can always drill deeper into each word choice or maybe step back and take a broader perspective to find connections to the whole story of scripture. Now, if God is our shepherd, what does that make us? That means we're sheep, right? Um, And maybe we don't like to admit that. Maybe we just forget that that's how the Bible describes us, but we are sheep. And Philip Keller wrote a book called a Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, and it's it's a really helpful book. It's an older book, but it's very, very helpful because Philip Keller was a shepherd. And because most of us don't live in agrarian societies and we just don't know a lot about um, sheep herding or just any animal husbandry or anything like that, we have very little knowledge of sheep. And what Keller tells us is that sheep are dumb defenseless, and easily scared. They need to be carefully looked after and provided for. I highly encourage you to get this book, and I'm going to mention it in the show notes too. So just remember, Philip Keller wrote the book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, and I'm going to be quoting from that book again uh, several times. But also, um, Charles Spurgeon also makes a comment on sheep, and he says they are weak 
and foolish. So do you like that description of yourself? <laughs> Probably not, but that's how the Bible describes us. Do you believe that we are sheep? Do you really think that you are weak and foolish, defenseless, and easily scared? Well, you might admit that in the privacy of your own mind, in the privacy of your own thoughts, but the messages of the world are constantly telling us the opposite, right? The message of the world is that we're capable and strong and we don't need anybody. We can do things ourselves. But if we're honest, we do have to agree with the Bible's picture of us here. And even Jesus agrees with that because in Matthew 9, 36, it says this, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then in Titus 3, Paul says, We ourselves, before God saved us, were foolish, disobedient, and led astray. I don't know about you, but I'm just really thankful that the Bible tells the truth about us. And we might not like it sometimes, but the Bible and God, God really tells us the truth about who we are. Because if we don't realize the truth about who we are, we cannot understand that we really need a shepherd, that we really need a savior. Now, have you noticed that we've only covered the first phrase of this psalm? I better get moving, right? Well, <laughs> I will get moving now to the second part of verse 1, because the second part of verse 1 says, I shall not want. Or in the CSB, which I read just a few minutes ago, it says, I have all I need. And I think the CSB really clarifies the meaning of this. We use the word want a lot in modern day English, but not in the way most translations of Psalm 23 do. There's a real difference between I want something and to experience want. To experience want is to be deprived of necessary things. And so phrasing it the way the CSB does, I have all I need, really helps us understand what David is getting at. Because the Lord, the covenant God, the sovereign one, is my shepherd. I have all I need. A couple of years ago, when I was preparing to teach this psalm, I was thinking about this first verse. And the Lord really convicted me that I didn't live according to the truth contained in this word. In my relationship with him, it was as if the psalm said, The Lord is my taskmaster. I can't keep up. Ouch. That was really painful to realize that that was really how I was living. I was, I was really living in my relationship with God as if he was a taskmaster. And I just had to keep up with all the rules that I thought that he wanted me to keep. And that caused me to really think about whether the truth I said I believed had really sunk into my heart. So ask yourself that question too. Do you interact with God as your shepherd and believe he will meet all your needs? Or is your relationship with him more distant where you have trouble trusting him or feel like you have to perform for him? I definitely struggle with that being a former professional musician and all my life I had to perform in order to, you know, get the job or get the part or whatever. And so that unfortunately came into my relationship with God. So I don't want to do that. I don't want to think I have to perform for God. So think about that question. I know I want to grow in my relationship with the Lord to a point where I'm really confident that he is my shepherd providing all I need. Now, I heard someone years ago teach this psalm and say that the psalm could end right there, right there at that first verse. It summarizes the whole thing. And I think that's just about right. 
Old Testament scholar Walter Brugman said that fellowship with God is the end of all needs. But we're going to keep going in the psalm and we're going to keep studying it. So I hope you're okay with that. There is so much more in this psalm. In verses 2 and 3, I want you to notice the repetition of the pronoun he. So I'm going to read verse 2 and 3. It says, He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his namesake. How many times is the pronoun he or his mentioned? I think it's one, two, three, four, five, five times, right? So what is he, the Lord, doing? Definitely that's the focus of verses two and three. It's what the Lord is doing. And how might that relate to sheep? So that's what we want to look at right now because some of it relates to sheep and some of it doesn't. So let's let's look a little more closely about what God is doing. First it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And what I learned from reading Philip Keller's book is that sheep wander and they need to be provided a place to lie down, a safe place, right? Where they're not scared. They need good pasture. They don't need brown and dry and nasty pasture. They, they need good pasture, right? So it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And then it says, he leads me beside still waters. And sheep, they don't, they don't like to, they're easily spooked. So they don't like to drink water from like a really rushing stream or something like that. So they need calm waters and they need water that's not polluted to from which to drink. So God is providing still waters, calm waters. And then it says, he restores my soul or he renews my life. And that doesn't completely relate to sheep as, you know, sheep don't have souls. But remember, this is an analogy between sheep and man. So here the shepherd brings restoration to the deepest part of man. And then it says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Or in the CSB, it says, he leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. So there's a guidance in the right way that the shepherd provides. Remember that sheep, sheep are dumb. They don't know where the good pasture is. They don't know, um, they don't know the right way to take. And, and that's a lot like us, right? We don't, we don't know if we're honest what the right way is. We, we just don't know everything. We don't know the threats that might be coming around the corner. And so we need God to lead us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So in this verse, we can look at some cross-references to gain a little more insight. So in Psalm 5:8, it says this, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. And then Psalm 143.10 says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. So now that we've gone through these first three verses, what I want you to do and what you can do in your study is after you've gone through a section of scripture, you can step back and try to summarize what's going on here. So how would you do that? How would you describe the picture that's being painted in the first three verses of Psalm 23? Who is the focus on? Well, I think it's obviously God, our shepherd. Look at all the things he does for his sheep and for his people. I think it's a picture of total care. God cares for all of our needs, our physical needs, our spiritual needs. 
And that makes me think of another cross-reference that I think might serve as a summary for this first part of Psalm 23. And it's in Psalm 100. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Philip Keller in his book says this about these first three verses. He says, The owner's entire name and reputation depends on how effectively and efficiently he keeps his charges. God's name is at stake and how he cares for us. And I think from these first three verses, we can we can see that he does a really good job. He takes complete care of his own. And as a result, the sheep are content. They are confident in the shepherd's care. So do you know God is your shepherd? Do you trust in his care for you? Or are you striving to care for yourself? A lot of times we we would say with in our mind, of course, God is my shepherd, right? And I, I trust I trust in his care. But a lot of times we just need that reminder going back to the scripture and just reminding ourselves that we're not God, right? <laughs> so many messages in this culture are telling us that we know the right thing to do, that we are God, that we can provide for ourselves. So we need this reminder that God is our good shepherd and that we can be confident that the Lord is going to provide for us, provide good things for us. So those are some points of application you might want to ponder. But let's go on to verse four now. Verse four says, even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. So there's a lot in here. There's a lot of imagery here that we're going to dig into. But we we it first begins with a shift in imagery and a shift in tone. So we go from very peaceful and pastoral to threatening and dark. And it's a very familiar verse again, one that's easy to just think we know what it means, but we're going to examine it more carefully. So first we, we realize that the imagery of a sheep and shepherd is still there. We have a rod and a staff, and we're going to get to that in a minute, but there's more. There's there's real danger because it says, even when, and we ask ourselves, even when what? It says, even when I go through the darkest valley. So the first three verses, again, paint a picture of abundance and green pastures and still waters, but now David is talking about the reality of evil and trouble in life. He uses the phrase, the darkest valley, or in the way most of us are used to hearing it, the valley of the shadow of death. Um, is he talking about literal death here? Most of us are used to hearing this part of the psalm at funerals or memorial services. But this phrase in this verse, it refers to more than the time of our death. It's really painting a picture of the opposite of the first three verses. Again, the first three verses talk about God's provision in abundance. But now, starting in verse 4, we have God's provision in times of darkness and need. The valley of the shadow of death is a beautifully poetic way of describing the lowest times and darkest times of our lives. But as we continue to read carefully, and that's something that I really encourage you to do, um, even with this familiar psalm, Remember to look at each word choice and really ask yourself why or um, why that word choice was chosen because we see that David says we walk through, we go through the darkest valley. 
He could have said into the darkest valley, but he says through. So we're going through dark times. We're not going to stay there. And I think that's very encouraging. And going on, it tells us even more. Even when we go through the darkest valley, we fear no danger or we fear no evil. And how can that be? Well, he gives us the reason. For you are with me. God's presence really matters. In your study, you would probably want to stop here and really think about how the Bible talks about God's presence and the difference it makes. You can use your cross-references. And of course, all throughout your study, you want to pray and ask the Lord to give you more insight. And maybe God will bring to your mind different stories in the Bible, different passages that talk about God being with his people. So as I was studying this psalm, here are a few that I came up with. First is in Genesis 28, 15. And it says this, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now that story or that verse is from the story of Jacob. And God is reminding Jacob of his presence with him, that his he's going to keep being with him and blessing him, and he's going to keep his promises to him. And then in Exodus 3, verse 11 and 12, it says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? God said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So remember this story about Moses and how he kept giving excuses to God about how he couldn't be the one to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. But God was kept assuring him by saying, I will be with you, right? And then Psalm 118, 6 and 7 says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. And I love this psalm because um, it doesn't say, you know, that the Lord is going to be with me, but it actually, um, it uses different language to communicate the same idea because God being with us means that he is, has covenanted with us and promised to um, fight on our side, fight for us. So when it says the Lord is on our side, that's really talking about God being with us. And then Isaiah 43 verse 2 says this, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. And I really like this verse because I think it has the same type of imagery that we're talking about in verse 4 of Psalm 23. It talks about going through the waters and waters and rivers in the Bible a lot of times are symbolic for times of trouble and times of chaos. And then it says, when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. So those are some cross references that I came up with that help me to really think about what it means for God to be with me. And again, Philip Keller, our expert real life shepherd said this in his book. He said, nothing so quiets sheep as the presence of the shepherd. And then Derek Kidner, Kidner, one of my favorite Bible commentators said, his presence overcomes the worst thing, fear. You know, it's not that bad things don't happen to the people of God. We know that they do. 
but it's that his presence makes all the difference in those bad times. Remember Joseph, he said to his brothers who sold him into slavery that even though they meant it for evil, God meant it for good. God was for Joseph and God is for us if we truly are his. Now, there are many who would say they believe in God, but practically they are deists. They believe that God set everything in motion, but then steps back and looks on from afar. But this is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is intimately involved with his creation, with his people. So what difference should a knowledge of God's presence make in your life right now? Now, I know in my life, it really makes a difference right now because in all the uncertainty going on around me, and I'm sure there's lots of uncertainty going on, going on around you, whether that's, you know, political uncertainty or cultural uncertainty, or even just in your family um, and personal uncertainty, it really helps me to dwell on the fact that God is with me, that he is not far off, even if I can't really feel him or have some sort of some sort of warm and fuzzy feeling, you know, like we always want to have, I can go to the word and I can be assured that he is with me. And that really diffuses a lot of fear and it gives me confidence. It helps me know, know that I am not alone. So verse four, like I said, has a lot in it and we're not done yet because the last phrase says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And part of God's presence with his people has to do with the rod and the staff, this shepherd imagery. And again, we're, we're probably going to have to do some research here on how shepherds care for their sheep to figure out what the rod and staff are for. And they really are tools the shepherd uses to care for and discipline and guide his flock. He may use the rod to discipline and the staff to guide them. It's, it's kind of difficult to know exactly the difference between the two, but taken together, they are a symbol that God is not far off. He is intimately involved in the care of his sheep. And that makes a big difference, especially when we go through those dark valleys of life. Now we come to verse five and verse five says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now I've always been confused by this verse you know, of course, like many of you, I've heard this psalm for many years. And for many years, I just kind of, you know, brushed over this, this verse and was like, I don't really know what this is talking about. And I never took the time to dig into it and figure out what it was talking about. So, so if that is you as well, don't feel bad. I'm going to help you figure it out because it is really, really awesome. Um, there are three pictures here. We have the table, the oil, and a cup. So we need to use our tools, our Bible study tools, to help decipher these pictures and figure out the meaning behind them. Now, how do you do that? Well, we can use other translations or cross-references, and we can also remember the t context of the psalm in terms of who wrote it, because we've left the sheep and the shepherd imagery behind for right now, and David is now using some specific imagery that applies to his own experiences. So first we have the image of the table. And what is that referring to? And why is this table being prepared in the presence of enemies? Well, a table is symbolic of a feast. In Psalm 78, 19, the Israelites, Israelites question God and they ask, 
Can God spread a table in the wilderness? What they were really doing is they were questioning God's provision. And perhaps David is recalling in this verse how God provided for him and his household when his son Absalom took over the kingdom and drove him out. You can read more about that in 2 Samuel 17. So God provides abundance in the midst of insecurity and danger. Next we have oil. And what is that about? Well, we have to remember the historical context here and what the Israelites did with oil, right? Because we, we are so far removed from that. We just, when we think of oil, we think of, you know, vegetable cooking oil or olive oil or something like that. But the oil in the Old Testament context, and even in the new, it was used for consecration. It was used to maybe anoint the sick, right? So in the Old Testament, of course, in David's David's context, it was used to consecrate priests and for blessing people. And it was also a symbol of gladness. Um, it's also a symbol sometimes of the Holy Spirit. So the oil is a tangible sign of God's blessing on David. And then we have this imagery of the cup. And let's talk about that. It says, my cup overflows. So is he talking about a literal cup? Most likely no. Um, but using our cross references to help us, we can see in Psalm 16, another reference to cup. It says, God is my portion and my cup. You hold my lot. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus asked God to let this cup pass from him. So from those two cross references, we can, we can deduce that the cup refers to our lot, what God has assigned to us. And in David's case, and in our case, our cup overflows. So taken all together, the table, the oil, the cup, what do these three images communicate, do you think? Well, I think one commentator I read said it best. He said, this is a witness to infinite resources in the worst of situations. Even if we are in the direst of circumstances, that does not limit God, right? Think about these images some more. We have a table, which is a feast in the presence of enemies. We have the oil of blessing and my cup overflows. Think about that for a minute. God is not a stingy God. <laughs> Let that sink in, friends. God is not stingy. He is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And I think that is what this verse, verse five, is really talking about. The abounding of God's goodness to us, even in the worst of situations. So let's now step back, as I recommend you do after getting into the details, and let's again summarize like we did. We summarized verses 1 to 3. Now we're going to summarize verses 4 to 5. You're going to try to paraphrase what's going on here using the imagery, using the meaning that you figured out of this imagery. So in coming up with a summary or a paraphrase, what we're doing is we're taking everything we learned from cross-references and different translations, and we're seeking to properly interpret the text. And you can do this. Also use your commentaries, use the internet to look up some commentaries to help you. And it's going to take time to do this, but you can do it. Um, but let me tell you what I think and how I would summarize verses four to five. I would say that these verses are communicating this. Even in the worst of situations, I don't fear evil because God is with me, defending and disciplining me. I am secure because even in the worst of situations, God is providing 
and will provide what is good for me beyond what I can imagine. He is for me. And if that last phrase, he is for me, reminds you of Romans 8, I would recommend that you go check out Romans 8, 31 to 39, because I think that passage actually kind of goes on to talk about that phrase, he is for me, in just such a powerful way. But I don't want to get on that tangent, so let's go to the last verse, verse 6. In the ESV translation, which I'm used to, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But remember what the CSB said? I think this is so cool, because the CSB says, Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. I love that translation because I think it clarifies what the ESV translates as follow. It says, um, faithful love, goodness and faithful love will pursue me. And sometimes I think if we use the word follow, we think of maybe something dragging up the rear, you know, but I think this is a very active If you study the Hebrew, this is a very, this word has a very active component to it. So God's mercy and goodness and faithful love pursue us, actively pursue us. And David's journey, our journey, where does it end? It ends with God in his house. I think a good cross-reference for this last verse of Psalm 23 is only a few Psalms later in Psalm 27, 4, it says, One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So God's love and mercy pursue us. Let's ask ourselves this question, though. Do we pursue God? Are we actively pursuing him and his presence? Psalm 65, 4 says, Blessed is the one who you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. So at the end of our journey, we will meet God. Now, if we're truthful, if we're reading the Bible, we know that the Bible says for many, it will not be a good thing to meet God in the end. We're all going to have to meet God in the end. Um, But some people, they have lived apart from God, denying his power, not acknowledging his presence and his authority. But for the people of God, for those who have come to know him through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, the end of our journey is what we are waiting for. It is the consummation of all our desires for we will see God and we will be with him forever and ever because we will be truly home So the last thing we want to do is find a gospel connection to Psalm 23. And I don't think it's that hard if you know your Bible well enough. And if you remember that in the gospel of John, Jesus talks about being the good shepherd. So this is a great gospel connection to um, Psalm 23. And just as Psalm 23 is very familiar to us, it was probably even more familiar to the Jews of Jesus' day. So think about that. As I read John 10 verses 11 to 15, it says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. 
I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now imagine how the Jews of Jesus day would have reacted to Jesus saying these things about himself. Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. Hopefully they would have remembered Psalm 23. But not only that, they would have have hopefully been familiar with all the language of the Old Testament that talked about sheep and shepherds. The Lord consistently referred to his people as sheep and himself as shepherd. But he also desired his leaders, his prophets, priests, and kings to shepherd his people well. I talked about Ezekiel 34 earlier in the podcast, and I want to share that part of that chapter with you. Because it talks about how the leaders and the priests and the prophets in Israel failed to be good shepherds. Ezekiel 34, 1-2 says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? So that's talking about how the shepherds of Israel failed. But God promises that he will seek his people out. And again, keep in mind that that passage from John 10, as I read Ezekiel 34, 11 and 12, it says this, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Do you see that connection to John 10? Jesus came as the good shepherd, the one who not only sought out his sheep, but died for the sheep. As John declared, he was the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. And just as Psalm 23 ends with this promise of God's love and mercy pursuing us and leading us to dwell with him forever, remember John 14, where Jesus confirmed the same thing to his disciples. He said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. That is such just such a beautiful connection to Psalm 23, I think. Psalm 23 is this journey This journey of faith, it starts out with the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. And it ends, um, you know, it goes through God providing for us in the good and in the bad. And it ends with us being with him. And Jesus confirms that by saying he is the good shepherd. He has sought out his sheep. He has died for his sheep. And he is going to prepare. He is preparing a place now for his people so that we can be with him forever and ever. So that's all I have for Psalm 23 today. I hope that you enjoyed that deep dive into Psalm 23, and I hope a very familiar psalm has become even more special to you today. And let me know what you think. Give me a review of the podcast. Make sure you're subscribed. And also connect with me on social media, on Instagram. You can find me at Women Studying the Word. 
Also, make sure you, you check out that website, womenstudyingtheword.com, and find the resources there. And you can also email me at meredith at womenstudyingtheword.com, and I'll have all that in the show notes. So again, remember that wherever you are in this journey of understanding the Bible, of studying the Bible for yourself, you can do this. You can go one step deeper, and I am here to help. I'll see you next time.